The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning is from Esther 20, or 2, 1 through 23. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what she had been decreed, what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge over the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with the seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go in to King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations of the women, since this was the regular period of their, of their beautifying six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in to the king in, the, in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of um, Shazgaz. The king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines, she would go. She would not go in the name in the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except for what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. 
Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into the royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes for the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Hoazwares. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Um, if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to children's church, please join the volunteers in the back. Thanks, Ruthie, for weighing through all those names. Nobody wanted to be called on for today. She did a great job. If you'll keep your app or the, your Bibles in front of you, we're going to be making reference to the text, and I want you to be able to, as you learn from the Bible, I want you to be able to see that you know how to study it, that you know how to get what's in there for you. I don't want you to finish a sermon and go, listening to a sermon and go, man, I would have never got that. Uh, God gives the Scripture for the people so that you can learn from it and um, be ministered to by it, both in corporate worship and by yourself. The second thing I want to say, uh, just as I hear little voices, please don't let that bother you. It's certainly not going to bother me. We are trying hard to get to a place where we can reopen the nursery. But since we can't reopen the nursery yet, we want you here. We want the little ones here and in this room. And I promise you, my voice can carry over there. So don't feel insecure uh, if you're holding a baby or a little one that's making a lot of noise. Um, it's good for us. Um, we look into the passage, Esther. This is sort of where the story turns. And we're going to be looking really closely at what's there and what seems to be missing. And so I invite you, let's pray together. Let's ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you that we can be together this morning. We uh, quake with fear and anxiety and dread when we see things like we saw this week, where things seem scary and totally out of control, where there's evil and where there's trouble. We ask God that you administer to your people by your word and by your spirit. 
It is so easy for us, maybe easier than ever before, to feel like things are totally out of control. And I ask God, by Your grace, that You would remind us that though we can't always see Your hand, that You are in control. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. He's been dead the whole time. These words were shouted into a theater where the sixth sense was just about to premiere. And somebody finished watching the show, learned about the secret of the sixth sense, was walking to the bathroom and out to their car and thought it would be funny for the next show, the four o'clock, to walk by, just as the movie's starting, open the door and yell, he's been dead the whole time! And when you're sitting there, you're like, what? What did they just say? But then as you start to watch the movie, you start to realize that the whole secret of the whole movie has been given away before it even starts just because of a prank. If you've watched that movie from beginning to end the first time and not had it spoiled for you, it blows your mind. How did he keep this secret the whole time when it was right in front of us? That the author, the storyteller, knew what they were doing. They knew just exactly to take us where we needed to go and do it on His terms. The story we find here is often like that. There are things that are happening that are so obvious to the author, but to the rest of the audience, it just seems as if things are out of control and nothing can be predicted. Nobody is safe from this horrible king. And what Esther is pointing us to, and it's doing it so subtly, that there is one who is in control, one who crafts the narrative, one who, no matter what it looks like, is working towards a positive end, even though he's not named. That's what's going on. Remember, Esther doesn't even mention God. It doesn't even mention God. Now, why would there be a book of the Bible that doesn't even mention God, but it mentions these catastrophes? It mentions fear. It mentions murder and all of the difficulties and, and grossness of life. And it doesn't even mention God because it's trying to model for us when we don't see God moving, that doesn't mean He's not there. This story takes place a hundred years later after the destruction of Israel in 586. Len Teague, one of my mentors and heroes, he listened to the Veggie Tales version of this story before they, that he preached it. And so he makes reference several times throughout his sermon about how Veggie Tales is explaining to children what's going on in this story. First, Vashti gets fired in VeggieTales, because the king said, make me a sandwich! And she didn't make him a sandwich, and so she's fired. And we'll go, we'll take a few more looks at what VeggieTales has to say about what's going on in this story. I want to look at two things this morning. Sin and sovereignty. Sin and sovereignty. First of all, let's look together at sin. The first thing I want you to see is that sin comes out of pain. Sin comes out of pain. Did you see just the opening words? 
After these things, when the anger of King Hazarus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. We sort of read the story as if it's like, uh, he calls for Vashti, she says, no, I won't make you a sandwich. He says, okay, then you're fired, and then here we are on the two. But the historians tell us that there were four or five years in between Esther 1 and Esther 2. Now, if you think about it, look at the text. It makes sense. He has to remember Vashti. After all these things, when the anger of the king Azurus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what he had, she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, what the text doesn't say, but the heroic, excuse me, the histories of this time say is that this king, Xerxes, had just got his butt kicked in war. He tried to go extend his empire even further, even further into Greece. And instead, Greece was ready for him, and they kicked his butt, and he lost all of this money that it takes to build an army against people. He lost most of his soldiers, and he comes home licking his wounds, thinking, I'm not the best, I'm not the biggest king in all the world, I couldn't take Greece. And when he comes home, sad and sorry as he is, he sits at home and remembers Queen Vashti and the sandwiches she used to bring him. And he's lonely. He's lonely. Why bring up Vashti? Why bring up Vashti? It's because his ego had been hit and he was looking for comfort. He was looking for someone to love on him, to distract him from the pain of the fact that he just got whooped. The sin that he pursues comes out of his pain. And honestly, friends, that's where it does for us too. Have you ever felt lonely? Or overlooked? Or afraid? Or shamed? Or guilty? Or angry? Or just deep sadness? And it sounds like this. Nobody understands how hard it's been. Nobody, nobody gets just what it's like to be me. It's too hard. I'm on my own way. I'm on my own anyways. I, surely I can just have this one thing, this one thing that brings me some comfort. Don't I deserve that? Do you hear it? The reason that I want you to see that Xerxes, that he sins out of his pain is because I think that so often is what happens with us. If you look at where you tend to sin the most regularly, I want you to work at tracing that back to a feeling in your heart of not being accepted or not being loved or not being wanted or not being known or not being seen or not being appreciated. If you look at your sin that makes so much noise, trace it back into your heart. And what is that, what is that sin? It's meeting a need. And what is that need in your life? He needs to be reminded that he's still wanted, that he's still something. And so he lets this plan, this terrible plan go forward all because he's feeling insecure about being beat and not being the best. Our sin tends to thrive in the places of our pain. 
So if you want to start conquering your sin, start looking at where you're hurt the most. So sin comes out of pain. The second thing I want you to see here is this is sex trafficking, not a beauty contest. This is sex trafficking, not a beauty contest. I mean, obviously for Veggie Tales and for uh, helping our little ones to understand the story that there are adaptations we can make from it, but this isn't a contest anyone wanted to win. This isn't a contest that anybody had opportunity to get, go away from. It says this, The king's young men who attended him said, Let the beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And now here he says this, Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem and Seuss of the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. And so they absolutely go and take these people from their homes as far as they possibly can. They go and bring these women home chosen. Not only would they take the women against their will, underage women against their will from their homes, but they would never return to their homes. You saw it in the text. It says if they don't get picked by the king, they're going to spend the rest of their life in this harem where he can bring them out every once in a while. But it's also their sons. There's 500 sons a year that are chosen to be eunuchs to watch over these harems. And so this king just does whatever he wants. It's not a sweet story. It's a monster. It's not a beauty contest. It's sex trafficking. One of the commentators says it like this, the king wished to add to his collection of living dolls. Those chosen would live in secluded splendor for the rest of their lives, even if they were only rarely taken out and played with. It can sound in a cleaned up way, kind of like a sweet story, but this is a monster. And I think that takes us back if we really focus on this. Remember, it's the same person who threw a drunken bash for six months. It's the same person to show off he had gold and all of this beautiful decorations for his home. It's the same person who fires his wife from being the queen because she won't come and make a show of herself. And now, after he's not won an empire, made his empire larger than it was supposed to be, he now just says, okay, now I'm going to take. I'm going to take what I want. I'm going to take who I want. Whatever it is for me to stop feeling these feelings of loss and failure, I'm going to take. Every night, I'm going to take. And it's tempting for us to look at this person and go, whoa, that's, that's really a bad guy. It's really really a monster. There's two things I want you to see in that though. First of all, we are not supposed to be surprised when people that don't follow Jesus do things like this. It doesn't mean we like it. It doesn't mean we support it. It doesn't mean we're for it. But we should not be surprised. We're of no use to anyone if we're walking around just shocked. Oh my, I would never it's hard for Christian people to follow Jesus and live lives of holiness. How could we possibly expect when we see the wretched evil in the world and those who are power hungry and do what they want with their power, they don't follow Jesus. 
And for us to be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when you see people that don't follow Jesus doing things that don't line up with Jesus' kingdom. Also, the people around you. I know it's easy as parents, it's so easy to shame our kids. How could you have done this? Who do you think you are? We say those words. And what we're actually saying is, I am startled that you could be this bad. Maybe you've said that to your spouse. Who are you? And what we're saying is, is that we're startled at others' sin. What that, I want you to see that because what that really means is saying, yes, of course it's okay to be a sinner, but not this kind of sinner. We should not be surprised when the monsters of the world act like monsters. We shouldn't be surprised when the sinners in our lives act like sinners. And we shouldn't be surprised at our own sin. The hardest part of repentance is not looking at this terrible thing you did and saying, oh, if it would just go away, I'd otherwise be a good person. The hardest part of repentance is looking at your sin and saying, this is exactly the sort of thing that I would do. I love my sin. And if I could get away with it, I'd do it again. Lord, give me a new heart. Part of what we're supposed to understand from being well-versed in the Bible is understanding that sin is a part of our world for now. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. In the world, in our homes and at work, and in our own hearts. We sin... It comes out of pain. Sin we shouldn't be surprised at. And sin turns people into obstacles or vehicles. Sin turns people into obstacles or vehicles. Do you see how many different versions uh, uh, of help the king needs to get this done? He's got eunuchs there. And concubines. And advisors. And attendants. And soldiers. Basically, this king is acting like someone to me can either help me get what I want, vehicle, as one pastor said, or be in my way, obstacle. Vehicle or obstacle, that's what you get to be. And you'll watch the people that use their power for others, people to them are not people. It's just a vehicle or an obstacle to, get, to keep them or get them for what they want. Where are the areas in your life where you make people live around you? Where are the areas in your life where you make people live around you? Aaron and Cormac recently, Cormac is my nine-year-old son, they were recently talking about um, what everybody would like to do on their birthday. Kind of working through our very large family and talking about what each person's favorite things might be to do to plan for their birthday. And they're talking about the bouncy houses and they're talking about Mr. T's and they're talking about all these different fun things and Aaron said, what do you think dad would like for his birthday? And without skipping a beat, Cormac said, he would like us all to sleep until 10 and then go to bed at 7. He's shockingly right, but it's still super convicting that my son knows in his heart of hearts that my biggest desire for my birthday is that all these kids would just go away. And that I interact with him in such a way that he can perceive that. He gets it. He has to live around the fact that I want calm and quiet and comfort, and so I want all of these humans to go to bed. And he knows that. 
Even in a playful way, he understands that those are some of the rules of my kingdom. He has to live around that. What in your life demonstrates the rules of your kingdom that other people have to live around? Who in your life are you treating like a vehicle or like an obstacle, but not a full person, just somebody that can help you or that you need to move out of the way? And then this, sin can be subtle. Sin can be subtle. The sin comes out of pain. We shouldn't be surprised at our sin. Sin turns people into obstacles or vehicles, and sin can be subtle. Now back to Len Teague, my mentor, who taught this passage and looked through the VeggieTale lens. How VeggieTales deals with this one night with the king is that they had to get all ready because they were going to go and sing one song before the king. And if he liked their voice, they could stay. And if he didn't like their voice, they couldn't stay. They had one night to sing. That's how VeggieTales teaches the story. And I want to be very careful here because I said earlier, Esther is the victim of sex trafficking. We're not going to beat up on Esther. But there are things in which she has shown compromise in her life for her own safety. And we're going to talk about how we so easily compromise our integrity when we are on the run. We're going to talk about how Mordecai does the same. But again, she is a victim. But what we see in this text is that she's also one who chooses to live at peace with the kingdom. Look with me in 9, 15, and 17. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food with seven chosen young women from the king's palace. 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except for what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And then 17. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight. She must have sang a beautiful song. Now again, she's in a no-win situation here. But Esther is often compared with Daniel, where Daniel, they say, eat what we tell you to eat, and he says, no, please let me eat this, and we'll do better, and he does better. The king says, worship. Worship an idol. The king says, I won't do it. I'll throw you in with the lions. He says, throw me in with the lions. Again and again, we see how Daniel, while living in captivity, finds ways to push back against the throne, against the kingdom, and trust that God will prepare for him, whereas Esther and Mordecai have made their warm, cuddly place in the kingdom. They use their foreign names instead of their Jewish names. He tells her twice in the passage, don't tell anyone who you are. They're hiding, they're compromised, They've learned to work the game. Commentator says she worked for promotion in the house of women by fitting into the agenda that the empire set for her. They live in two worlds. They seem comfortable with their lives and comfortable with their faith in private. Mordecai does nothing to protect her. She gets called into the worst contest ever, and it says he does nothing except walk back and forth to check on her. He says, don't tell him who we are. He's an opportunist. The reason I tell you that is 
it's not to pick on Mordecai and Esther. It's really instead this, this sense that we think God is in control and will accomplish His plan as long as we do everything perfectly. If we follow the ABCs, then everything God intends to happen will happen. And what he's saying here is even when people are compromised, Mordecai could have long gone back to his homeland, but he liked his life in the kingdom. Esther could have put up this life where she's longing to get back to her homeland. And instead, they've made comfort in their new lives in the kingdom. What are the ways that we hide our allegiance to God by blending in with the world around us? Because sin can be subtle. It can be subtle. What are the ways that you sing to make yourself more comfortable here at work or at home or with your neighbors? What are the ways that you sing? Sin comes out of pain. Sin should not surprise us. Sin turns people into obstacles or vehicles. Sin can be so very subtle. And let's look at sovereignty quickly. I just want you to, I want you to see what just tends to happen in the text. The, the text that doesn't mention God. Verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel whose name was Mordecai. First time, we've been through a whole chapter and we've been through five verses and we finally hear about God's people. There was a Jew named Mordecai. It just happens to be that there's this Jew named Mordecai. Oh, and he just happens to have standing in the kingdom so that he can come and go as he pleases in the king's court. Oh, and they just happen to live in where? Susa. The same place where the king resides. And then when it talks about Esther... She's taken into the king's palace. Sorry, excuse me. It says this. The daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So with this big contest, she just happens to be this lovely, beautiful woman to look at. She just happens to have a cousin in power. That cousin at the end of the text just happens to overhear the plot to murder the king. And even more than that, at the end of the story, they would normally honor somebody right away who had saved the life of the king. It happens all the time. They would honor him right away, and they just happened to forget to honor Mordecai right away. Here's what I want you to see. All of those happenstances are God's sovereign work, and that's true in your life too. Mordecai doesn't see it coming. Esther doesn't see it coming. God's sovereignty is at work even when you can't see it. Is it work when God's people have failed? They could have gone home from exile and said they stay. It's at work when God's people are failing. Moses is told to sing to the rock and he strikes the rock, but God still nourishes his people with water. Samson tells the secret of his strength, which he's not supposed to do, and yet God takes him having his eyes gouged out. Him having his power taken away, God uses that to kill the Philistines. David steals a woman that does not belong to him and has her husband killed, and yet God uses that for Psalm 51 to teach us how to repent. Even in your mistakes, the ones that you wish you could take back, God was in control. 
God was in control. God is sovereign over our bad choices and our sinful choices, just as He is over our good choices. So here's what I want you to understand. Sin is about serving self instead of serving others. Sin is dangerous. It comes out of places of pain in our life and it's we shouldn't be surprised when we see it in the world or in our leaders. We shouldn't be surprised when we see it in our family or in ourselves. It can be very, very subtle. But even with all of that compromise, God is still in control with these things that just seem to happen a certain way. Even when Mordecai doesn't see it yet and Esther doesn't see it yet, even when they have failed by not going home to be with God's people, even when they fail by finding compromise, finding comfort in the kingdom. Esther was an orphan and a Jew. And ultimately, we'll have Jesus who's orphaned on the cross. Jesus who was a Jew. Be a better leader, a better advocate, a better champion. Esther drew near to power to be safe. Jesus picked a fight with the powers so that we would be safe. Esther avoided the gallows and Jesus ran straight for them. Don't underestimate what God is doing, even when you can't see it. Don't underestimate what God is doing even when you can't see it. Let's pray. Father, we're honest, we are way more compromised than Esther or Mordecai ever were. We want to thrive in this kingdom of darkness. I pray, God, that You will help us to have profound trust in You. That even when it seems like the world is coming apart, that You still know what You're doing and You're still acting behind the scenes. We need to remember that this week, God. That You're still in control. That You're still for Your people. And that we can't screw it up. Comfort us with that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.